بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله الذي العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم أخرجني من ظلمات الوهب وأكرمني بنور الفهم اللهم افتح علينا أبواب رحمتك وانشر علينا خزائن علومك برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين We continue our discussion about Unit 5 and as you know we started with a reference to moral character of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. There are a few virtues which are addressed in the discussion today. One is that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was very patient and persistent and despite all the challenges he never gave in never lost his patience never lost his hope and courage you know that the time in mecca was very very difficult lots of propaganda against the Prophet and his followers to the extent that they said he is mad, he is a magician. Lots of physical attacks, arresting, torturing, killing, the way they killed Ammar, the father of, uh, sorry, Yasser, the father of Ammar, and Sumayya, the mother of Yasser, uh, of Ammar, the, husband, the wife of the Yasser. So they tortured them, they killed them. The way they tortured Bilal, so it was terrible. They had to go to Sheba Abi Talib for three years. Some Muslims later had to migrate to Ethiopia, Habasheh. When the Prophet wanted to do some tabligh, they put lots of restrictions and sometimes even they asked people to attack him, to injure him. Even, for example, sometimes they were giving some money or something to the children to attack the Prophet. For example, when the Prophet went to the city of Ta'if for inviting people, not only they didn't listen to him, they threw so much, so many stones at him that his body was injured and blood was coming from his feet. And it is said that he went and sat next to the wall of a garden there and started whispering to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and complaining only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then you know what happened in Medina, the battles, the internal troubles created by the hypocrites and munafiqeen. Very, very difficult and challenging life. To the extent that he says, Ma misla ma No prophet has ever been annoyed like me. In the battle of Uhud, which was very difficult and unfortunately, although Muslims had almost finished the battle with victory 
with because some Muslim didn't listen to the Prophet and they left the position that the Prophet asked them you know not to leave it at all so the situation changed and Muslims were defeated and Hamza Sayyid al-Shuhada you know Hamza before Imam Hussein was given the title of Sayyid al-Shuhada he was killed brutally many people were killed Rasulullah was injured his tooth was broken but he didn't you know lose his patience indeed he prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and said Oh Allah please guide my people who are the people that he says my people the people who have killed Hamza have killed many martyrs have uh, injured the Sula but he says these are my people as I said in another lecture this is a very common thing that you find among the prophets that they refer to all members of the nation that they are trying to guide as their people in the Quran for example if you read a story of Thamud it's a Qawm Samud Lut Qawm Lut means these are his people when you are sent as a teacher all the students are your students and this is your class you cannot say only good students are my students only good students are in my class everyone is your student so Rasulullah says oh Allah please guide my people including the people who are on the battlefield and have already killed many people and then he finds an excuse for them he says they don't know they still need some time to know more and these are the people that they knew Rasulullah very well because these are people of Mecca these are not people coming from another part of the world these are the people who knew Rasulullah for 40 years before Islam 13 years in Mecca after Islam and now it's few years in Medina so they know all these things about him they know his family they know his background they know his trustworthy nature, his honesty, but still Rasulullah says they need more time to know more. And you know, those people later, they became Muslims. The people who were in that army of Quraysh, later they became Muslims. So this shows that how much Rasulullah was persistent and hopeful. Another thing, which we have in the book is about trustworthiness of the Prophet you know even in the time of Jahiliyyah before Islam Rasulullah was known as Al-Amin the trustworthy although that society was not a very moral society but still trustworthiness is something that everyone appreciates even thieves although they you know rob people's money but they prefer if someone among them is trustworthy so that they can leave you know their valuables with him if they want to travel and they want to leave their money with someone they look for a trustworthy person so for 40 years 
before Islam, they always had this moral character of the Prophet in mind, and in particular, his trustworthiness. And when they started fighting against the Prophet and Islam, the trustworthiness of the Prophet was so obvious that they never doubted his trustworthiness. This shows that Rasulullah was very careful not to let any exception happen. If he had let any exception happen and say, no, these are our enemies, these are our killers, you know, these are the people who have confiscated our properties, so there's no problem to take from them and not giving back, then they had lost their trust in him. But Rasulullah was so persistent and so consistent that even 13 years after Islam, when Rasulullah had to migrate to Medina, still he had some of the trust of Quraysh. So Rasulullah is running away from these people, but the trust of these people are with him. And he's still worried. So he asked Imam Ali to give the trust back to the people who have given him this trust and then to join him. So this is the situation of trustworthiness. And as you know, this quality is very important because some years back, you know, I was thinking why among all the characteristics, this one was so outstanding for people. I'm not saying this was the most outstanding quality of the prophet. I'm saying the most outstanding quality for people, something that they had noticed a lot. I was thinking why this is so significant. Then I thought maybe that was actually a preparation for them being able to believe and trust Rasulullah later, you know, because they had no excuse to say this man was unknown to us. This man was a person that, you know, sometimes told lies, sometimes, you know, he, he betrayed people. No. When Rasulullah was 100% trusted by them, even afterwards, why they didn't listen to him? You know, there is an incident that once Rasulullah addressed the people of Mecca, and I think he was on the Mount, you know, Abu Qubais, if I am not mistaken. And he said, if I tell you there are enemies coming from other places, they are behind this Mount. Do you accept? <coughs> they said, yes, we all accept. Then he said, I am warning you about the punishment of the hereafter. But unfortunately, then here, they didn't have, you know, interest in accepting another thing is devotion to god this was very obvious in the life of the prophet rasulullah is quoted as saying the best of people are those who love worshiping praying being devotional the way Rasulullah loved prayer, loved Salat, is very clear. He used to say, Salat is the light of my eyes. He used to say, my relation with Salat is like a person who becomes hungry or thirsty. When you are hungry, 
you look for food. When you are thirsty, you look for water. So he said, I become thirsty and hungry for Salat. But the difference is that when you eat, your hunger is over. When you drink, your thirst is over. But my hunger and thirst for prayer is never over. Even if I have just said my prayer, still I want to do more prayer. In the night, he was not sleeping, you know, long hours continuously. First of all, his sleep was short. And even that was divided. So it was not that he was sleeping, you know, four hours, five hours continuously. He was sleeping very little, but he was breaking that. Sleeping a little, waking up, doing some Salatul Layl, going back to bed, sleeping a little, waking up, doing another part of Salatul Layl, like this. So he was dividing his time. Yes. When? The the regular one is eleven rak'ah, salatul layl. So after midnight, before fajr, there are eleven rak'ah which is salatul layl. But you can do lots of other mustahabbat, you know, sir. But the one which is the daily nawafil, so for the night is eleven. So he was dividing his night between sleeping and doing ibadah but even those hours for sleeping was not continuous and there are hadith and historical reports that for example we have lady Umm Salama saying that one night when Rasulullah was in her room then in the middle of night says I didn't find Rasulullah so I went out to find Rasulullah and I saw he is standing in a place, in a dark place, has raised his hands towards the sky and shedding tears. And he says, oh Allah, please don't remove the blessings and the bounties that you have given me. Please don't make my enemies happy by seeing my mistakes or defeat. Please do not bring me back to the troubles and calamities that you have saved me from. Please do not leave me to myself even for an eye blink. Then she says, I told him, may my father and mother be your ransom. You have been forgiven. You know, Quran says in Surah Fat, so you have no sins to be worried about but Rasulullah said no one is free from need everyone needs Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Yunus was left to himself for a little while and then the result was that he ended up with being in the stomach of the whale. Another incident we have that when Rasulullah was crying during the night, someone asked, why you cry so much? And he said, Afala akunu abdan shakuran. Shouldn't I be grateful? Should I only cry when I have problems, when I have hajat, 
when someone is ill, when someone is poor, when someone has no job, that's the only time to cry. Or when you have been very successful, when you have been very blessed, very much supported as a sign of gratitude, you have to pray and you have to feel so much, you know, in debt to Allah that you want to cry. But it is interesting that even for his tahajjud, for his ibadah during the night, for his ibadah during the night, he was very careful about the etiquettes. He was making wuzu. He was, even during the night when he was, you know, waking up for tahajjud, he was uh, brushing his teeth. And he was very careful about his dress, as we will explain later. In the months of Ramadan, he used to free all slaves. If he had any slaves, because you know, inshallah, we'll talk a little bit later. The idea was that slavery was there, a practice before Islam, and was practiced you know, in different parts of the world. Islam started bringing regulations, first legal regulation, second moral regulations, and making people in, you know, encouraged to free slaves. But in this process that they had slaves, they were educating them, helping them, teaching them some skills, and then freeing them. So, and sometimes these slaves didn't want to go. For example, you know, Imam Zainul Abedin, other Imam, you know, when they had slaves and they wanted to free them, you know, they wanted to stay. They received so much of love and support that they didn't want to leave Imams. So every month of Ramadan, when it was coming, Rasulullah was freeing all the slaves before Ramadan. When he was praying, he was very careful about people. If he was leading Jama'ah, he was trying to make it simple. When he was himself praying alone, he was prolonging his ruku and sujood. And he used to also say to people that if you go for leading Jama'ah, try to read Hamd and short surah. He was not telling them, you know, recite Surah Baqarah or Ali Imran or, you know, Surah Nisa. He was telling them, when it's Jama'ah, just something simple. Don't, you know, delay uh, Salat. And as you know, once Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was leading the prayer and he made his prayer even faster and shorter. And someone asked him, you know, why, you know, you said your salat faster. He said, didn't you hear a child was crying? So even when he is connected to Allah, he is concerned about people. And, you know, this is what we call in Irfan, Wahda Fihin al-Kathra. So although you are connected to Allah, but then through Allah, you have to be aware of what is happening around you. Like Imam Ali, when he was in Salat, they were able to uh, remove arrow from his leg. And he was not noticing. But if there was a person who was needy and it was pleasing to Allah to help him during prayer, he was aware of that. So he made the Salat shorter or faster so that 
the mother of that child can quickly go and take care of her child. Another aspect of his characteristic is that he had very simple life. He didn't choose to have luxurious life. Although he could have had luxurious life. Even in Mecca, he could have used the money of Lady Khadija if, she, if they had saved only 20% of her money for themselves and divided 80% on other people, still they could be very comfortable. Maybe even 10% was enough. But they didn't save anything for themselves. They didn't you know, want to have any privilege. And in Medina, certainly he could have had a you know, big house, you know, best of the food. But he decided to have a very simple life. And his, for example, way of dressing, his way of coming to the public, his way of sitting you know, with people was everything except luxurious. It was very simple. Even we have this story that once a person came to Medina and wanted to see the Prophet, and perhaps he thought that as soon as I go to the masjid, I would understand who is the Prophet because it must be the man with a special dress, a special you know, seat or throne with securities around him. But the Prophet was so simple that he just saw people sitting in circle. And he said, who is the prophet? This is very important. Especially if you know the world, you know, at that time, you know, how the leaders, how the emperors, how the kings, you know, were treated. Even today, you know. The, another aspect is cleanliness, tidiness. The Prophet was not only concerned about the purity and piety of the soul. He was very concerned about the physical cleanness. In that society in which there was no, you know, water pipes, you know, I don't know, lots of, you know, chemicals, all these things. But he was very, very particular about his dress and body. So it was not just wuzu. And he used to wash himself many times. He used to wash his hair with a special, you know, hair. We call it cedr. You know cedr? Cedr is something coming from a tree. It's very good for your hair, you know. And also he used to buy perfume. And perfume was not very cheap, you know, because it was good perfume, not, you know, fake perfume which is you know cheap and was not you know just uh, I don't know some chemicals you know just real perfume and was expensive but he used to buy perfume and when Rasulullah was passing by some people uh, still after some time they could uh, smell the fragrance so you could go to a place and say Rasulullah must be here maybe he was here half an hour ago one hour ago this was the way he was careful. Before going to sleep, waking when he was waking up, he was uh, brushing his teeth. His dress was always clean. He used to wash his hand and his mouth before eating, after eating. He used to avoid those vegetables that smell, you know, smell bad. 
he had his comb he had some scissor mirror and brush always with him whenever he was traveling these are the things that he was taking with him comb scissor mirror and brush very simple house but very clean and also he used to advise not to keep rubbish inside the home during the night you have to leave it outside home and even if for any reason you know he was saying that the dishes also should be washed not to be left you know during the night but if for any reason there was some dish which was not washed maybe didn't have water he was saying you should cover it unwashed dish should not be opened and he was telling muslims that they should keep their body their dress clean especially on the day of jum'ah there was a special recommendation that they must wash themselves and use clean dress and perfume and then go to the Salatul Jum'ah. Yes. Sorry, not the Jum'ah. I have many people who keep telling me to do the Ghassi. But in particular, what do they mean? Do they mean that the general was like Janaba or just the normal Ghassi? It's like Janaba, but intention is Jum'ah. So the intention is for Jum'ah, not the yeah. You, you can you can have uh, for example sometimes few host with one host you know yeah. according to many maraja if you have few wajib or, and mustahab host you can do one host for all of them according to many maraja we call this tadakhulul asbab for example someone has to do host the janaba but also is juma he can have the niyyah of both but uh, if you have just Jum'ah and no other cost applicable to you, you make the niyyah of Jum'ah. But according to some maraja, for ghusl Jum'ah, you need to also make wuzu for Salat. According to many, wuzu is not, uh, you know, removed. According to some, you don't need to make wuzu like Janaba. For ghusl Janaba, you don't need to make wuzu. But Jum'ah is different. Some maraja say yes, some not. Another quality of Rasulullah was he was very, as we said before, very soft, very gentle. But when it comes to the principles, he was strong, not harsh. He was not bad tempered. He was not aggressive. He was not angry person, but soft at the same time, strong. You remember the example I gave you? What was the example? Water, yeah. Water is very soft if you want to be friend. <laughs> yeah? If you use water in a friendly way, water is soft. But if you want to face water, you can even kill yourself. You know, if you are diving and you don't know how to <laughs> dive into water, it's like rock. It's very strong. You can hit yourself. Mu'min is very strong. Mu'min doesn't come and, you know, attack anyone, but is so strong in defending himself that if you punch him, you will see your hand is damaged. 
Okay, so you spread rumors against movement, but you see your rumors go back to yourself. And he doesn't need even to talk. So this is the way it is. So Rasulullah was very soft, but at the same time, strong when it comes to the principle. When it was about his own life, he was very much forgiving, very much pardoning. Even enemies of Islam, as much as possible, he was forgiving them. You know, in the conquest, during the conquest of Mecca, yeah? When he saw that the enemies have no way to create troubles more, then he forgave them. The only time to not to forgive was when more harm could have come. They are organized, you know, soldiers, for example, you have to stop them because they are still fighting. Maybe you need to take them as a captive for some time. Maybe you have to control them. But if they are defeated and there is no way that they can, you know, harm, he was easily forgiving them. So the people of Mecca, some of them were leaders of Quraysh, like Abu Sufyan. And, you know, how many people were killed by them? How much troubles they made, you know, for 23 years. But when Rasulullah, of course, Fatah Mecca was not 23 years, was before the last year. So say 20 years. So for 20 years, they annoyed Muslims, they killed Muslims, they tortured Muslims, they started wars. But when Rasulullah entered Mecca and heard that some people saying, some Muslims saying, Today is the date of the day of fighting and revenge. The day of showing our power. Rasulullah said, Today is the day of mercy. And with just one short sentence, he freed all of them. He said, You can go. You are all freed. You are all released. You are all forgiven. Forgiven in the sense that we are not going to come after you. We are not going to set up courts and you know bring you to the courts. <laughs> Even he didn't take them to courts. He just freed all of them. And not only that, he said, whoever goes to the his own house or goes to the house of Abu Sufyan would be saved. So just go to their, your house. Don't come and fight us. You, you are all forgiven. With respect to family, he was very kind. Unfortunately, it was not uncommon. Maybe you can say even it was very common that people were harsh with their family, especially with their wife and children. Because for them to be a good man meant to be a strong, and for them a strong man meant to be harsh. If you kiss your children, this is not good. For them, kissing your child means you are soft. They say this is for women. Women kiss their children. <laughs> Men should not kiss their children. Yeah? Men should never praise their women, their wife. You know, this was the mentality, you know. It's like a boss and has, you know, few people who are under him. This was their mentality. And when the head of the tribe makes a decision, even men of the tribe cannot do anything, let alone women of the tribe or children of the tribe. This was their mentality. But Rasulullah was different. Rasulullah was a man 
who was many times annoyed by some of his wives. And sometimes they use very bad language and Rasulullah was tolerating. Sometimes they had expectations and demands from him which were not good, but Rasulullah was not you know, reacting. To the extent that sometimes Rasulullah was making something for himself, forbidden, although it was halal, not to hurt his wife. And Allah says, لَمَا تُحَرَّمُ مَا أَحَلَّ اللَّهُ لَكَ تَبْتَغِي مَرْضَاتَ أَزْوَاجِكَ Because you want to please them, you make something which is halal, you know, forbidden for yourself. Not changing the law of Islam. Some people have misunderstood this. They thought that Rasulullah made law of Islam different. No. It means that it was his right in his personal life, for example, to eat honey. Okay? But because of his wife, for example, you know, while getting angry, where this honey come from or whatever, he didn't. So, he was making even uh, his own rights, you know, sacrificed because of making them happy and keeping them happy. One of the things that Rasulullah used to say to Muslims was, all people more or less have good characteristics and bad characteristics. A man should not only consider bad akhlaq of his wife and then say, because my wife has bad habit or one bad habit, two bad habit, I am going to divorce her. A man should consider there are lots of good akhlaq also in his wife and should not divorce her or leave her. The same, a wife also should not only expect perfection coming from her husband. We are all more or less with problems. You have to always remember positive points of people. You know, don't let you know few negative things preoccupy your mind and then don't see anything good. You just see bad and gradually you develop hatred. And when this hatred, which is emotional, when this hatred remains for some time, then it's very difficult to control it. You know, hatred is like a tree. When you grow this tree for years, then it's very difficult to uproot it. It reaches the point that people cannot even see each other, cannot even talk to each other. It's very difficult. Do not let hatred grow in your heart. Okay? When you see negative points, try to fight potential hatred by thinking about positive points. He was very kind with his children, grandchildren, all children, but especially with the children who are under his direct care. He used to sit them on his lap. He used to put them on his uh, shoulder. He used to, you know, let them ride him on his back. And, you know, he was uh, taking them, you know, uh, inside the room. And he was kissing them. And one person, you know, when once he was kissing Imam Hassan, salam, his grandson, a man said, I have two sons and I have never kissed them in my life. Rasulullah said, If you don't show mercy, you would not be shown mercy. He used to say, the best mu'mineen are those who are best in their akhlaq with their family. 
if you show more kindness to your family, you are closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he said, I am the kindest of you towards his family. He used to say, respect your children and teach them good akhlaq and good manners. With slaves, he was very, very kind and supportive. And he was always telling that you have to be very kind to them. He used to say, these are your brothers. Feed them from the same food that you eat. Give them the same dress that you have. You know, imagine that society. They were treated, even today, people not slaves, you know, when they have, you know, servants in some countries, they treat them, you know, not like human beings. At least, even if it's human being, not the same order. But Rasulullah says, these are your brothers. Feed them from the same food. Give them the same dress as yourself. And he used to say, the worst of people are those who sell people. Those who are involved in, you know, selling slaves, you know, because it was a trade. Some people were going to other countries, take people, you know, even here, you know, was something which was practiced, you know, still there are some ports, you know, that we know slaves were coming, you know, here you know, or in other countries. He was very much against injustice and was supporter of the oppressed people. And as you know, when he was very young, with some youths of Mecca, they made a treaty. It was called as Helful Fudul, a group of young, noble people that they said, we are going to promise that whenever a stranger comes and has no family, no tribe to support him, because those who had family and tribes, they were okay. But strangers were at risk. So he said, uh, with these people, they said, we are going to support anyone who is dealt in an unjust way. We are going to support them. Even many decades, several decades afterwards, when he became prophet and, you know, he was very established, he said, even today I am committed to that promise. That if I am called for help, I'm going to go and help. He was very unhappy, very critical of the people who were not working. He was not, you know, saying some people work and some people worship. No. You have to worship and you have to work. Work by itself is a great thing. And he used to say that Worship has 70 parts, but the best part of it is earning halal. So it's ibadah. And the best part of it, you first make sure that you have halal income, then you do other things. The first thing is that you have to do, make sure that you eat halal, you, you know, give your family halal food, halal dress, halal accommodation. Uh, he was very much unhappy and he said God doesn't like the people who are lazy the people who are just sitting idle doing nothing this is not good 
And unfortunately, in some countries, you know, because there is a social security and some support, you know, unfortunately, we see some people become dependent on the services coming from government. And this is not good. These are for the people who are really not able to work. If you are able to work and you are receiving the same amount that you can receive as benefit, you have to work. Let this be used for other people. It's not good, you know, to depend on this. There is no baraka in the money which comes from millions of people, you know, taxes or whatever. And you don't know, first of all, which business was taxed. Was it a halal business or halal? And were those people, you know, for example, happy with this? They were not happy. Are they happy with this being used by you? Or There are so many questions here. And sometimes I say to people, you know, even from your halal income, when you feed your children, still you are worried what is going to happen to them. Let alone if there is any dishonesty involved, any false information or any false, you know, claim. This makes it very problematic. And even if you are genuine in your claim and you are qualified, you are eligible to receive benefit, but there is a way for you to work harder so that you stop receiving this, you must do it as ibadah. Personal ibadah and also bring honor to the community. Let's our community be the community which receives the least of the support from public fund. We should be contributing, not you know, receiving more. When it comes to prisons, the percentage of people from our community should be the least. But when it comes to contribution, our percentage should be the highest. This is proper way of promoting, you know, your values. Rasulullah was very organized, very punctual, and very careful about doing things, you know, in the best way. Unfortunately, sometimes people do things just in order to, you know, get rid of, you know, blame. You know, so you tell them, you know, do this, they do it in a minimal way. If they clean, the, you ask them to clean the house, they, you know, put all the rubbish under the carpet, you know, and put everything in the cupboard. So in a few minutes, just as much as you don't tell them why you didn't clean. But if you look at, you know, the house carefully, you see everything is there still. This is not good. Sa'd ibn Ma'az, a companion of the Prophet, died. And Rasulullah himself undertook the responsibility of checking his grave he didn't just let the prayer or you know attend the funeral he himself also prepared the uh, checked the grave and he was when you know the body was put and you know they put you know a stone you know you know lahat before they put again the soil they put a stone so he was very, very particular. Some people said, oh, Rasulullah, why you are spending so much time? You know, why you are so careful about this? He said, I know that this is all going to be, you know, ruined or, you know, collapse. But something like this, he said, similar to this. Allah loves 
the servant that when he does something, does it perfectly, does it in the best way. Even it is a grave that is, you know, that's, that's, you know, the stone is not going to be seen, <laughs> you know. So if you are a repairman, if you have a garage and people, you know, bring their car or, you know, if you are a technician, electrician, you know, and people bring, you know, their equipments for repair, do proper job, repair it properly. Don't repair it just in the way that after a few days or a few weeks, you know, it breaks down and they bring it back. Do proper job. If you are washing, if you are cleaning, if you are cooking, if you are studying, do everything in the best way. If you are driving, if you are a doctor, if you are an engineer, if you are a, anything, do the job in the best way. When you are a student, do your study properly. You are spending time. You are going to school. You are going to university. Do it properly. Just sometimes or many times, just by 10% extra effort, you can really make a big difference. You do 90% of the job, but that 10%, you don't do it. And the result is not 90%. The result is just 20%. For example, every day you go from home to university, how much time you spend going to university, maybe one hour, one and a half hour, coming back, few hours there every day. But if you are organized and spend one hour extra every day reviewing your work, your homework, prepare yourself, you would see the result is much higher. And as summary, as you know, he said, and we said in the first day of the section, I have been sent by God to accomplish noble traits of character. So he was a teacher of akhlaq, not only the basics. He started teaching the people who didn't know anything the basic, but also he was offering people up to the highest levels of moral perfection. Not only in theory, in his own practice and lifestyle. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to follow the example of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and all the true servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all the prophets and messengers and imam and all awliyaullah who have demonstrated in their lives the values that every human being appreciates. If Rasulullah was today with us, don't think only Muslims would have appreciated. If Rasulullah was today with us, all people, faith communities and communities without faith, I'm sure all of them would have appreciated such virtuous person, such loving, merciful character. وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين.